If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is The Art of Awesome, episode number 172. This is what confuses 90% of the people when it comes to oxygen, trying to get more oxygen into the system. In fact, the more you try to get air in, the opposite effects, the less oxygen you will get to your muscles and your tissue. The harder you breathe, the less air you're going to get into your muscles and tissues. And most people go, that doesn't make any sense. But the problem is, in that situation, you're hyperventilating. You're breathing hard, and you're blowing off tons of carbon dioxide. And when you're blowing off all of that CO2, carbon dioxide literally has to be present in the blood in enough volume for the oxygen from hemoglobin, from the oxygen to, de- to actually detach and go into the system. So, so for all that oxygen to get to all your muscles, vital organs, and all your tissue, you've got to have a presence of CO2 in enough levels. And if you're hyperventilating, you think of a panic attack, right? Someone's like, <gasps> and they're hyperventilating. What are they blowing? They're blowing off all that CO2. Hit it! That's what I'm talking about. Wait! Okay, now, from the beginning. Hit it, boys. Welcome to the Art of Awesome. My name is Nick Troutman, and I'm a professional athlete, entrepreneur, family man, and adventure seeker. My goal is to share with you stories, knowledge, and inspiration as we continue on the journey together, searching for that secret sauce to producing awesome results in everyday life. Thanks for spending some time with me today, and let's get to it. Welcome back, everyone, to the Art of Awesome podcast. I am your host, Nick Troutman, and this is the show where we search for that secret sauce to success and the difference between the average and the awesome. And today we have another, it's kind of cliche, but a truly awesome interview as I get to sit down with both Corey Reed and Mike Manna from Mountain Wellness. This is actually the first interview that I've had uh, multiple guests on at the same time, and We talk all sorts of amazing stuff about breath work and how in their eyes it really is the pinnacle of human performance. Corey also shares a bit about his story um, with an unfortunate accident that led him with a prosthetic and blind at a young age and then turned that obstacle into a professional adaptive sport athletes. So Corey has an amazing story. Mike met Corey in that same era of being that professional adaptive sports athlete, followed him around, documented him for a while, and then they teamed up to create Mountain Wellness, which is 
all about optimizing human performance and longevity for the mountain athletes. So as you guys can tell, right up my alley and very excited to talk with them all about how to reach that peak performance. Um, and also just I'm learning a ton about breathwork through their course and really just excited to share with you their amazing findings and all about the breathwork that they do and and how it can help us all reach further in human performance as well as that longevity. So very excited to jump into this conversation. Uh, again, just so much knowledge shared and we kind of get into a bit of the weeds, into the thick of it, but I think you guys are going to learn just a ton from this conversation. So let's go ahead and jump right into it. Here is Corey Reed and Mike Mayana. Mike and Corey, welcome to the Art of Awesome podcast. I'm stoked to have you both here with me. Uh, this is also my first episode interviewing multiple guests at once on the show. So this is going to be a ton of fun. Ah, great Nick, to be man, here. Totally stoked to be here. Yeah, man, we're, we're pumped. We, we had a good conversation with you on the Mountain Wellness podcast and now we're back to, to talk some more on yours. So we're, we're pumped. Yeah, so we all met this year in Vail at the GoPro Mountain Games, uh, and it just kicked off, um, you know, great relationship off the bat. Uh, we've got the mutual idea of growth mindset, human performance, and continually improving and kind of just working to always push to be our best. Um, I also like what you said, Corey, we had the pleasure to speak with you guys on your podcast, uh, Mountain Wellness, recently, and I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes as well. Um, and I really, I'm, I'm excited to talk with you guys and get into mindset, breath work and all sorts of really fun stuff. But, but before we dive into that, I kind of wanted to hear a little bit about your stories and how you guys kind of both met and started mountain wellness. Yeah, absolutely. Take that one, Corey. I don't know who wants to start it off. Yeah. Mike and I have some history, so, um, I'll try to keep it short as far as, uh, uh, you know, Mike and I have some, a lot of adventuring together. Uh, I have, uh, you know, back in college, 23 years old, I was in a traumatic car accident and uh, that left me uh, totally blind and a right leg amputee. So as you can imagine, my world was flipped upside down, but I grew up in Southern California, um, you know, in the nineties, early two thousands at the sort of like the the advent or or the like just the beginning of action sports and just that uh explosion of the action action sports culture and um so you know I was uh being an athlete uh, being an athlete or or the outdoors and all that stuff was just <laughs> that was my life um sports always came really naturally to me um I really gravita- uh, gravitated towards snowboarding surfing skateboarding but I also played traditional sports growing up um and as I mentioned, I was in a traumatic car accident at 23. Um, and, you know, we won't get into the details of that, but I was in a coma for a month and wow. ba- I had collapsed lungs, life support. I mean, it, it wasn't going blind and the amputation was like nothing compared to fighting for my life. Um, so with that, as I mentioned, my life was flipped side- upside down. And action sports ended up being the conduit um, sort of into my uh, recovery and, and sort of getting <laughs> just sort of uh, uh, getting my back myself back up on my feet. And it was, I don't know, about 2008 or 
nine is really when my athletic career took off in the adaptive scene. And I started out snowboarding of all things, um, as a totally blind, uh, rider. And that took years to develop. I started out with the NSCD up in winter park, Colorado, great organization. Um, and it was interesting because I was right on the, at that point, snowboarding was not a para, Paralympic sport and we were pushing really hard. Uh, there was a big movement to, to get it into the Sochi Olympics in 2014 and um, which ended up happening. But with that, uh, you know, I was pushing to compete on the world cup circuit and all while trying to develop the system riding blind, which didn't necessarily end up working out from uh, going to the, the Olympics and, and Sochi and whatnot. But with that, uh, it definitely um, sort of instilled this, uh, drive in me to succeed. And, um, despite the challenges and circumstances that I was facing, you know, being blind and an amputee, um, unfortunately the snowboard thing did not work out, but that ended up leading me into competitive fitness of, of all things, CrossFit in particular. Um, and it was because wow. I had this, uh, a, a personal trainer that was into CrossFit. I had no idea what CrossFit was. Um, <laughs> but he knew I was super bumming, you know, not, having the snowboard thing pan out and he's like, you know, Corey, what do you think about competing in CrossFit? And, and, you know, CrossFit's pretty well known now and, um, it's, it's pretty popular, but back then it was sort of like, I, it was relatively new. Um, definitely had that subculture vibe and that, that's my thing. Like growing up in the surf, skate, snow, like SoCal sort of punk rock culture, like the whole gym thing was not cool to me. Like I just, it was, it was very like douchey. Um, and even playing sports growing up, like we never did like cross training, like in baseball, they'd run us, but we weren't weight training. We weren't strength training. We weren't like, um, so CrossFit, uh, I ended up getting into CrossFit, um, and of all things started competing, set some records, ended up setting a world record as the first adaptive athlete to compete in team competitions with CrossFit Los Angeles. Um, and that Congrats. was like, that was the beginning. That was like, all right, uh, there's something to, um, you know, strength conditioning and just the whole, I, I would just say it was the, the start of my personal growth journey. Nice. Um, Mike kind of <laughs> comes into the picture right about that time because, um, you know, I was really looking to gain sponsorships as a, as a, as an athlete, you know, very well, Nick, it's, in the early years, it's hard to support the travels. Um, you land this big, you know, sponsorship, or you think it's a big sponsorship at 24 years old, and you're like, sweet. And then all of a sudden, you're booking your tickets and your travel and all that stuff. And you're like, dang, like there's not much money left over to. So, anyways, Mike. No, I was just going to say, I could totally relate to that, Corey, for sure. <laughs> yeah. It's, that, and it's lending me well now, you know, creating mountain wellness and, and content creation and understanding that, that aspect of it. But with that said, you know, I was uh, over at uh, Blair's house, my, my CrossFit coach, and um, I'm getting ready to, to hit a workout. And he's like, yo, do you mind if um, one of my other clients and his son join you today? And I was like, yeah, that's cool. I don't mind. And uh, in walks Mike with his son, Cameron, and uh, we get to talking and whatnot. And, and basically, like, we hit it off right away. Like, we, you know, I shared a little bit of my story, what I just shared with you guys. And, and Mike's like, that's crazy. You're snowboarding blind. And I'm like, yeah. 
and I was bumming because I had tried to put this production company together or this uh, this production crew to, to shoot a video to start gaining sponsorships, and it had fallen apart. Mike's like, well, I'll help you. Um, and so that was the start of Mike and I's relationship. And then basically for the next, what, Mike decade, like eight years, you've yeah, followed you've me been... around everywhere, um, chasing <laughs> with me with a camera. camera. <laughs> and, and, yeah. And when I say followed me and chased me around everywhere, not just like, um, I mean, I'm talking, we did multi-pitch climbs in Yosemite. Mike was dragging a camera, shooting that. Uh, I went through Mark Devine's seal fit experience, the 20 X and Mike was right there shooting with a camera. Um, so, so I mean, all the CrossFit stuff. So we've really, you know, Mike helped me document those periods of, uh, those accomplishments and, and whatnot. Now where Mountain Wellness comes into the picture is, you know, I'm at this point, uh, uh full athletic career as a, a sponsored adventure, outdoor adventure athlete, um, and fitness, uh, you know, fitness athlete. And I was working as an ambassador for a health and wellness company, Lyco Red, and they asked me to come on to do the GoPro mountain games, to be their outdoor adventure ambassador, to do some activation up there. And that was like, uh, what was that for? So it was the, the year before COVID. It was I like 2019, I think, maybe 2019. 2019. Yeah. Yep. Were you there? So Nick? 2019. Yeah. Were you up there? I, I was, right. I was, yeah. I've, I've been there. I'm, gosh, like almost like 20 years. Like, oh, it's wow. kind of no, it's it's crazy. I, I definitely like 18. I don't know. There are a lot of years. That's I, awesome. I don't. Yeah. Wow. Pretty, yeah. pretty wild. So 19, 2019 was actually huge. I think they actually, they maxed out the city limits of Vail that year. I don't know if you remember that or not, Corey. Yep. It was um, insane. Yeah. And, and that was like, so that's where sort of Mountain Wellness was born. So I'm up there with Lycoret and they, our activation was to, uh, basically we were, we were doing blindfolded like team sort of like workouts challenges. Uh, so we'd cool. bring this back, you know, participants into the booth and blindfold them, have a little fitness challenge. But, uh, the other thing we were doing was breath work. And that was early on when I, I just got into, uh, well, I shouldn't say just got into, I was you know, experiencing, uh, uh, practicing breath work for a couple of years at that point, more Wim Hof style. Uh, but it was interesting cause I'm out there on the, uh, on the field in Vail Valley and, you know, I'm starting to pay attention to the trends or the, the, you know, what the other brands are activating, what they're doing. And I saw this trend within the outdoor space in particular with mountain athletes of health and wellness. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Yep. Every uh, most of them were had something related to health, and I was like, okay, this is interesting because growing up, especially in Southern California, as a snowboarder, um, it was like it was more like how like we'd party our asses off and get up and ride ride our hangovers off. Like it wasn't like, <laughs> oh, l- l- let's let's do some strength conditioning. We got our recovery practice. We got our nutrition dialed in. Um, and that, and you probably remember, it was like health and wellness was not a big part of just the the gen, general um, um, population of, of mountain athletes or outdoor adventures. However, obviously, your, your high level athletes were, and, and that's where I sort of got to um, experience it on being a high level competitive athlete, uh, you know, Olympic hopeful and, and whatnot. So. Basically, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, there's an opportunity. I want to start a brand within the outdoor space. Um, 
a health and wellness brand that is serving the mountain athlete. Because if you look in the health and wellness space or the fitness space, there's so many brands that, you know, are, are, are delivering that type of um, content or that type of brand or business where in the outdoor space, it's, there's not one influential brand that's saying, Hey, you know, we are the health and wellness brand. We're here to support the mountain athlete. So right there on the lawn, I was like, I'm starting a brand and, um, that was the beginning of mountain wellness. That's so cool. Um, Mike, before I, I I've got all sorts of, uh, questions to do with your story, Corey, but, but I kind of want to hear Mike's story as well. And then we'll kind of, uh, we'll just drive on some, some questions back and forth. And I also want to get into your breath work, uh, because yeah, all of this is, is very intriguing to me. The, the, I guess before we go straight to Mike though, Corey, I, I love how you were talking about, um, when you were an athlete, just kind of like probably partying your brains out and then riding the hangover away. I feel like that was like in general, I don't know if it was like outdoor sports or, you know, adventure sports or yeah. deemed like think, extreme yeah, sports. Action sports. Yeah. Yeah, action sports. Like it, I think that was like a lot of people's story back in the day. And I feel like, I don't know if it was social media or just like the internet or just the abundance of information that's available now. But for me anyway, I fully had a shift. And maybe it's just, you know, age too, where I like, I've been like somewhat aging out of that party phase. Um, yeah, and by sure. somewhat, I mean, I feel like I've aged out a, a while back, but um but now I'm like all about peak performance and like the flow yeah. state and just like trying to like, um, you know, better myself mm-hmm. in, in whatever way possible. So I love that story. I can relate a ton. And, uh, and yeah, Mike, I'm going to, I'm going to pass it to you now and, and kind of hear your version of the story a little bit, um, and kind of building, uh, mountain, mountain wellness as well. Yeah, it is interesting listening to Corey talk and explain the whole, how we got here. And it, it's funny because at the time of just prior to Corey, I'm I'm basically a self-taught person. I realized I became a music composer uh, about 20 years ago for television, and it was all self-taught, and that allowed me the extra time because of the way that the way you get paid in that business. It allowed me the extra time to pick up a camera and start messing with it. And so there I am with this camera, figuring out like you know what what do I do with this thing? I don't know anything about it. I'm trying to read the manual. I'm going on YouTube. And then it's when I meet Corey and I was, and I said, well, I got extra time and I got a camera. I'll follow you everywhere because you're cool. so interesting. And I think it, part of me too, it's like, you know, his story. And I'm like, man, how could I just help, help out? If, if, Corey meets a lot of people yeah. that, that, that have a soft spot and go, you know what, what can I, what can I do to participate in, in, uh, in your life? Or maybe I've, I know somebody or I can help in some way. And I, and that's always been an interesting facet of it all. It, we, he, he kind of draws us and leads us to all different kinds of people and they come in and, and, uh, it's, it's been an interesting ride that way. But, but aside from that, the, as we moved along, uh, I was going everywhere, them, all the events everywhere. I mean, we were going, like you said, up Yosemite. And just before we were getting on the climb, that first climb in Yosemite was a multi-pitch. He goes, my wife's pregnant. I'm like, really? Like, you're telling me now and we're going up the side of the mountain? It's like, could you just wait? So I was like, you know, it was kind of my idea to get him into climbing because I thought he was at that point in his life where he was trying to push himself. You could see him like, how mm-hmm. far can I go uh, it, it, based on what's happened to me? And he would put himself in the most difficult, uncomfortable positions. I mean, seal fit, rock climbing, you know, we were out there just pushing those limits to see where that limit was, you know, and then every once in a while I'd see his dad and I'm thinking, if something goes wrong here, 
I'm going to feel horrible, right? You know what I mean? It's like, but you have to push that aside. I think we talked about it on our podcast. You got to push that fear aside when it's time to go. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so that, yeah, and, that, and, and, that was our life. And, and for context, Mike, if I could throw this in there too, for yeah, context, I would also say like, um, I was on a mission and my coach said it best. We had him uh, on our podcast and he was like, yeah, Corey was just like on this, this mission. And it was just like, we were, everybody was kind of along for the ride and I didn't necessarily know what it was, but it was definitely like personal growth. Like I, yeah. I got excited. Yeah. I'm like, I want to optimize everything. Um, and, but also with that said, Nick, you know, very well, like I was a sponsored athlete. Um, I was one of the top, um, amputees like you know uh, with one of the the largest prosthetic manufacturers so there's also the contracts and okay what's Corey gonna do next and there was mm-hmm. mike right there ready to <laughs> go on you know, the next it, crazy adventure with me <laughs> and that makes it interesting because i was like an observationalist in all of this and so one of the things that i got out of this that, that got that led me to, to mountain wellness and wanting to partner with Corey right away is i watched his health improve i watched him muscular. I mean, he was doing CrossFit and he got shredded and then he was working on 10 years ago. He was looking at keto already. And so there's a lot of Hmm. things that he was doing and I'm watching all this thinking, you know, I'm just here, a donut eating camera guy and I need, (laughs) I need to do something. So, (laughs) so I, I began to, you know, I started to take notes, started to read books, started to change what I ate, got rid of sugar. I mean, I started just kind of going on my own journey and kept asking Corey, you know, Hey, what do you think of this? What are you, what are you doing now? And he's always on the latest thing. He's always trying something new, like the whole quality thing we just talked about. But it was interesting because my health improved so much that then I became excited and fired up. And so then when he called and said, you know, I was at the GoPro mountain games and this, this whole thing, uh, about mountain wellness came out. He goes, what do you think of it? And it was, a, it was, a, it was a no brainer for me. I got so excited. It's like a light went off for me. I was like, Oh my gosh, what? how can I be part of this? What do you want me to do? I mean, you know, so then we, we grew as a, I'm my kind of the media guy running the cameras and podcasts, whatever I can do to help. And, and we've been friends aside from all the stuff we do together. We've been friends throughout this. I mean, we, we were friends, really good friends through this whole 10 years. I mean, it's been amazing. Wow. That it truly is uh, an amazing story, and, and I'm so glad that I get to have both you guys on here together because um, it would be it, you'd be missing it if if you only heard one side of the story. So hearing kind of both sides is is truly incredible, and and I kind of so actually before we get into the breath work again because I'm very intrigued on the breath work. I'm taking the the your course uh, at the moment right now and, and absolutely loving it, but. Corey, I just have a question about your, so as an adaptive athlete, blind athlete, mm-hmm. you're snowboarding. And I think we talked about this a little bit on, on your, your podcast, you're doing it all with a guide with, um, with a headphone system and they're kind of giving directions. Is that correct? Is that the same yeah. for like climbing, um, um, as well? And just like, is, do you use the same kind of, um, strategy for all the different sports or is it a little different <laughs> you want to take that one Corey? <laughs> why don't you yeah, tell them about yosemite um, yeah i know I, totally so snow i'll start with snowboarding so snowboarding i i it, there was a lot of systems a lot of different systems that we tried some were really successful like my favorite one is riding with a skier skier holds a mm. uh like a, a bamboo pole um sort of like out in front of him, like he's pushing a lawnmower. Uh, but the other, he's holding one end of it. So basically like the, the other part sticks out and I hold it like I'm 
pushing a lawnmower as well, but I'm on a snowboard. Um, yep. But what's rad about that, as soon as he falls into a left turn, I'm falling in, I'm goofy. So I fall into a toe side. Um, and we can, I can mm. literally, I, I could go anywhere on the mountain. I was riding blue diamonds. I was, I was everywhere. Um, and, and that's no different than when I shoulder up with someone when they guide me, right? It's just the, the snowboarding skill was there. So I didn't have mm. to like think about how to snowboard. It was like, oh, cool. I got eyes. I got someone guiding me now. Um, with the world cup competition and the, and the Paralympics, you're not allowed to be attached to anybody. And that was one of the reasons why oh. it didn't work out because, you know, my, after I made the, the U S team, the coach is like, okay, Corey, now you, we have to develop a system where you're, you're basically detached, listening to some sort of count, whether wow. that your guides in front of you or behind you, and you have to stay on a border cross course. So I was, mm. I'm, I'm just sitting there like, how is that even going to be possible? Um, but I was at that point where I was like, oh, you know, I got the best coaches in the world and, and they're telling me I can do it. Let's, let's go ahead and give it a chance. Um, that's one of the reasons why it didn't work out. Cause I had a pretty gnarly accident in, in training and, uh, basically had a, a moment of a talking to of like, okay, this is super rad that you're, you know, the only rider in the country that's doing this in the U S. Um, I think there was one other athlete in, in Canada at the time. And we were the only two in the world that were, were wow. riding this way. So I took that as a, as an achievement. Um, and I'm like, okay, you know, I'm going to, it's not worth hitting a tree <laughs> or, you know, basically hurting myself worse. I had already overcome this, you know, major, uh, traumatic accident in my life. Um, but then to, you know, going to the climbing, it was interesting because there's this whole, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, not minimalist, but, uh, um, Mike, I'm reaching for the word. It's like the basically climbers don't believe in radio systems. Like they want to have this, uh, the purist (laughs) purist. There you go. That's the word I'm looking for. So they have this purist mentality of like, and we were sport climbing. So we were doing a multi-pitch sport climb. So each pitch you're, you're, you know, last man's cleaning up the gear, pulling the gear and you're not leaving anything behind. Well, when I was 18 years old, I was in the fire department as a cadet uh, with a big county fire department. We used to do a lot of search and rescue stuff. And radio systems are like essential for communication. <laughs> exactly. Mike and I get up on freaking three, four pitches up, four, you know, five, whatever, 500 feet. And our lead climber's taken off, Matt Robertson. He's actually a pretty well-known uh, professional climber. But he's like, it's windy and he's yelling like, you know... We're yelling back and forth. I could barely hear. And, and I think I made a comment later, Mike, like, you know, why don't you guys use two-way radio system? And he kind of just like, yeah, we don't need those. But so, no, we didn't use any radio systems. And I can tell you, it was pretty um, intense. I think on the fourth pitch, I, Mike, and we were climbing a team of three. So uh, Matt was setting, Mike climbed second, and then I... Uh, climbed third and did cleanup and that was the first time I'd ever climbed last but they wanted to get some shots of me coming up but man I could tell you hanging out completely blind on uh, some rock ledge um, 500 feet up not being able to communicate with anybody and you're waiting for them to you know tell you it's okay to (laughs) to start climbing is pretty intense that's wild that's that is crazy I I get the whole purist mentality, but at the same point, I probably would be like, yeah, well, 
I'm an adaptive athlete and I'm blind. Right. So exactly, we're right? <laughs> yeah. 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 No, we, we definitely could have benefited. And actually, I think a lot of climbs, I've been on so many climbs where something goes wrong and it's in general because there's a lack of communication. The wind takes the communication away. Uh, just, uh, there's just, a lot of instances where it takes away communication. You don't know if you're on belay because you can't hear. You're yeah, just exactly. You're hoping, and so <laughs> hoping is not great yeah. when you're on on rocks. Yeah, um, I try to avoid. I try to avoid uh, hopium. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's it's uh, it's interesting. You say how uh, a lack of communication, you know, can cause problems. I'm like, yeah, that caused. That's the, that's the root of all the issues that I've ever had in my life. Like whether so any true. sort of relationship so or anything, true. it's like a lack of so a true. lack of proper communication. Every time. Um, yeah. So I, I especially as you know, a blind athlete, I would. I, I can't even imagine doing it without like great communication. I would just be, I'd be terrified. I mean, it's, it's so out of my wheelhouse. Well, and this is, uh, you know, oh, sorry. this is going to yeah. lead into the next section of this, but there was something that happened on that rock that, that caught me by surprise. And when Corey was out there hanging off that rock and he was like, I, I can't hear, I can't see. And I'm trying to feel my way up this rock. And I knew it was, the time was too long. I'm sitting up there waiting. I'm like, okay, it's taking too long on this particular exposed area. He told me when he got up to the top that he reverted back to seal fit that he took almost, you know, I don't know, probably three or four years prior. And he got into box breath and he was doing that mm. to maintain his nervous system because, you know, there's a point at which you realize you could be in real trouble and you can start to panic. And that's, that's you know, most human beings have their threshold, their limit, and that's when they would and begin to panic. And he went into the box breathing. He goes, he goes that got me through. That, that settled me down and allowed me to keep going. And that stuck with me because I hadn't really been dabbling in breath work much. But these things that he was telling me at certain moments, I was like, wow, that's really powerful. So that kind of led us along into, you know, where we are now. But just wanted to, you know, that was an wow, important moment. That, yeah, that's, that is incredible. And and I've done some box uh, breathing myself, but I usually, I, I don't know if I've necessarily done it so much for... Uh, you know, in this stressful environment, I usually do it to put myself into a calming state, which I guess is the same purpose when you're in a stressful environment, you're trying to calm yourself down or keep yourself in check. Uh, but it's, it's really the perfect kind of transition into our conversation on breath work. So you guys have this breath course uh, or breathing course, I don't know, breath work course that you guys have with Mount Mountain Wellness. And I've been partaking uh, myself and absolutely love the course. Um, but it's all about breath work and and uh, performing at our best in high altitudes, as well as, I guess, just really any environment, really. Uh, and I'm stoked to get into it all. But before... I, I, you know, breath work is like obviously an extremely important part of our lives. And I looked it up and we take about like 22,000 breaths a day. And I, I found that very intriguing, yeah. um, especially in the fact that like if we were to go without breathing, obviously, you know, we perish and die. And so I also found it intriguing just like how something so important and vital to our survival and something that is uh, so huge or like such a huge part of our everyday it's something that that people probably rarely think about, or at least for, for myself, it's something that I, I rarely think about or, or hadn't really spent that much time thinking about. It's just something that I would innately do. Um, mm -hmm. And so I, I, as soon as I was taking the breathwork class, I was just like, this is amazing. And I'm learning so much about 
about the whole thing. It's very, your course is like got a lot of science involved into it. So I don't know if you guys just like researched a ton or, or kind of where all the science and medical stuff kind of came involved. Um, but it's super cool. Um, and, and I guess like I had heard, um, you know, that when you're nervous or something like that, and, and kind of maybe in a scenario like Corey's where, where you're in a stressful environment, um, to, to like take a deep breath. You hear that, or at least I say that to my kids and stuff like that too. Like, oh, just just take a deep breath. But from your class and, and from your course, it sounds like it's it's less to do with taking a deep breath and more about just um, the I don't know about the rhythm of breathing or different Even things like exchange, that. Like that, yeah. that actually, yeah, slowing the breath out can possibly be even more important than, than just like having a deep breath of oxygen in. And, and you guys also talk a lot about like carbon dioxide and how that has to do with oxygen. And I had totally thought that was just a byproduct of us breathing, but through your work, it looks like it's actually something that's extremely important in the whole, uh, oxygenation of the blood and stuff like yes. that. So yeah, I, I'm going to kind of pass it off to you guys a little bit and, and tell us all and, and tell the listeners a little bit about about your breath course um, and and a, a bit about this carbon dioxide part of the whole thing because I was blown away when I found that out about the the nasal is it is it noxide nitric oxide what, what is it? yeah the nitric, nitric oxide nitric nitric yeah. nitric yeah. nitric, right. nitric. Yeah. okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna let you guys talk about all the all the actual proper terminologies and stuff, yeah. and and kind of give us a rundown of how we can breathe better uh, and essentially be more effective at peak performance, whether this be you know in our everyday life or in these high altitude uh, mountain environments. For sure, I, yeah, like that. What a great way to just set this up. Um, so. For let's let's give a little bit of context and some story uh, first. I think it will help a lot because breath work. Um, there's everybody has a different experience with breath work. Um, it might be uh, it, it was with a counselor, told, like you said, told you to take a deep breath. It, it could have been um, after a workout, put your arm, get your arms on top of your head, and just you know try to control your your exhales or get control your breathing, but. Um, or it's in yoga, or it's Wim Hof. Like everybody's experience is so different. Mine goes back to um, the start of competitive CrossFit. My coach was a martial artist, so he was very much um, entrained in breath. Um, and one of his mentors was Mark Devine. Are you familiar with Mark Devine, Nick, uh, founder I, of Seal? I, I am Fit. not. Okay, so not. you'll love his work, it, it, leadership, and, and uh, mental toughness training. Uh, 20 year cool. uh, SEAL, uh, retired commander, but um, basically developed a training program after he retired to develop resilience, uh, mental toughness. Um, and, and one of the foundations of his training is breath. Like that's the anchor of, of a lot of his stuff. And as I, you know, we were talking about before, I went through Mark's um, SEAL fit training that's basically modeled off of like a, a Bud's experience. Um, and in that, was the introduction that was my first my, my first introduction to breath work it was it was like and for me it was it was super rad because I, I only really knew breath work from yoga and some other things which i didn't partake in yoga at that point so you know hearing a navy seal talk about breath work and like how powerful it can be and how 
you know, special operators use it to downregulate their nervous system. Snipers use it for, um, and even hunters use it for, you know, they have these techniques like box breathing, um, to Mm -hmm. slow heart rate and do all these various things. Well, for us, it was shoving us into ice baths, um, and, and literally putting us into this very sympathetic state, uh, fear state, hyper aroused. Um, and what they would do was basically facilitate, uh, and coach us through that and, and teach us how to gain control of our nervous system. And breath was, was the way they were doing that. So when you're in an ice tub, um, and it's 50 degrees outside and the sun's not shining and you know, it's not only is the water up to your neck, but they're making you go underneath, like fully submerged. Um, you, you're basically like, you know, basically like going in and out of, of hyperthermia. But it was interesting because as, I was being coached and um, the, the certain techniques, you could see how you were able to gain control of like the shape, like you're, you're basically you could gain control of, um, of your, your system and, and stop shaking. But it was so interesting because as soon as you thought about being cold or any other thought crept in, it was like immediately shaking uncontrollably again. So that was like my yeah. first experience of breath work. I was like, okay, this is super interesting. Trained with Navy SEALs. Like, I'm interested in it. Now, all while this is going on, I got very much into human performance um, and biohacking. Um, I found Dave Asprey's work early on, and it it was really cool because biohacking is sort of born in the tech scene um, in Silicon Valley. And it was more, it was like being able to quantify your health um, and to improve it and, you know, and really reach a state of high performance. So I'm, you know, doing all the strength conditioning stuff. I got really into biohacking, um, even to the point where I was doing like a a lot of the, uh, neuroscience, like, uh, neurofeedback with Dr. Andrew Hill at a peak. Um, so I developed this strong foundation, um, in, um, as far as like stuff grounded in science. Like if we're going to look at nutrition, if we're going to look at strength conditioning, if we're going to look at, like anything that's going to improve our overall health and performance, like let's have some biomarkers that we can first test to improve. So that was the foundation of like, you know, you asked the question of like the science and, you know, how we developed this methodology. It was like being a biohacker and understanding like there's biomarkers that we have um, that we can test on. And then if we have a, a baseline, we can work to improve those. So with the mountain wellness respiratory performance training system, um, and the methodology we developed, it's based on three biomarkers of health and performance. So I say health and performance because if you were to have asthma and you went to the physician right now, the doctor, they're going to do three tests. They're going to test CO2 tolerance. They're going to test force rate, and they're going to test your lung capacity. And based on those biomarkers and where you're at, they're going to tell you, yeah, you're asthmatic or you know, maybe you're borderline, but we can also take those three biomarkers and we can say, how can we um, utilize these to increase performance? And in our case, athletic mm. performance, um, so CO2 tolerant. Yeah. 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 So CO2, like in all those three biomarkers, improving those are going to have benefits like Mike saying with endurance or oxygen utilization or increased lung capacity. So that was the foundation. It's like with you know, breath work, having so many different, there's so many different things out there. We wanted to create a system that you could actually, there was, there's quantitative biomarkers to to start with. 
if you choose to do that. Because everybody can go on Amazon and buy a forest rate meter. Everybody can do a simple CO2 tolerance test. And everybody can blow up a, a balloon and see how much your lung capacity is. Um, so we really, that, that was the start. Um, that's, and we don't see that out there with many or any other respiratory breathwork training courses. Right. We, we, we wanted to do the field work and, and I think the field work led us to the science. You see what I'm saying? So, so I, we did put a lot of the science up front. So we understood the feelings that we had. So when we're able to control our nervous system in a bad situation, or we're able to increase endurance on, let's say we're 12, 13,000 feet and we're, and we know how to fix an, a headache or something like that. We wanted to know why this was working. So then we started reading all the books and, stud- and studying some of the top people in our field. And, and it was confirming what we're feeling. And so we needed, we wanted people to know, we thought, Hey, we could just tell everybody that this works. <laughs> this is the age of the internet and age of information. Everybody wants to know why it works. Uh, Yep. Or, or, you know, they don't believe you. So, you know, I think there's a good balance between science and explanation of how we got here. I mean, we, and I'm sure you heard some of the stuff about evolution and our airways shrinking and why we have overcrowding teeth and all of these things are are closing our airways, making them smaller, making it more difficult yeah. to breathe through the nose. So people are defaulting to mouth breathing and mouth breathing. I mean, at the end of the course, Corey and I realized there was no <laughs> good time to ever recommend mouth breathing in any endeavor, including sports and including, uh, like I trail run, I run uphill a thousand feet all through the nose. Yeah. And I'm thinking all the science supported it. it, lowered our respiratory rate. It lowered our, uh, our heart rate. It increased, uh, oxygen delivery by 20%. So, you know, it used to be, I'll just say this. It used to be that there's, there's two camps now kind of forming in this world, which is mouth breathers versus nose breathers. Kind of like, ah, mouth, nose breathing's too hard. I'm just going to continue mouth breathing. But the yeah. science is telling us clearly now that the, the negative effects of mouth breathing has led to an epidemic. This is George Dolan, PhD out of University of Colorado, an epidemic in bronchoconstriction and exercise-induced asthma. A lot of athletes have these things and they're developing. Mm. And he's all pointing towards mouth breathing. He's like, guys, this is drying out. You're, when you're taking all that air into your lungs, you're drying out your, your bronchioles. Everything's drying out. There's no filter. There's no humidified air. You're actually potentially doing long-term damage to the lungs. And that's the latest science. Now, you were saying most people don't know this. It's all out there, but it's just, it's all, we're on the crest of that wave of people. And so for me, I'm saying, hey, it's, if everybody had all the information, it wouldn't be as simple as, ah, I don't want to nose breathe. It's too hard. I'm going to do mouth breathing, but you're looking at long-term effects. Right. It's, it's very, it's very interesting. And, uh, I love how you, you talk about how there's, there's really in all of your studies, there's no opportune time to be mouth breathing. Like we should all be nasal or, or nose breathing at all times. I, I only in like reflecting back and thinking about it, I do a lot of nose breathing myself. And at first I was like, Oh, I think I've just been doing it, you know, since childhood or whatever. But then after thinking about it some more, it might also have to do with the fact that, uh, when I'm kayaking, which is a lot of my life, it's, I'm, it's crazy to think now that I've been paddling more than half my life. But, um, that I'm, I'm always keeping my mouth shut so that I'm not like swallowing or choking on water. So I'm always <laughs> I saw it in nose all of, breathing. All the photos I took of you, your mouth is closed. I'm like, there it is. I mean, he's already <laughs> he's practicing out there in the water, or you're going to choke on water. 
Yeah, exactly. So that's almost like subconsciously. Like I, I wasn't thinking like, oh, I need to nose breathe because it's better for my, you know, oh, oxygenation yeah, or, or anything like that. It was, it was kind of like just a byproduct of not wanting to yeah. choke on water. But, but at the same point, it has taught me to, um, outside of paddling, I still mainly nose breathe. Um, now a by another byproduct of paddling is that, um, I get a lot of water and probably dirty water up in my nasal cavity ah. and I get, um, I get sinus infections. And so part of that then too, is that when I get like a bad sinus infection, um, or just my sinuses are all like, you know, in th- like, just gunked up because of some dirty water. I won't be able to breathe that way either. Um, hey, hang on, Nick. Have you ever done? Uh, have you ever tried a neti pot? Have you heard of that? Have you ever tried I, it? I have. Okay. I yeah. have. Yeah, okay. and and that works. It works, but uh, I wouldn't say it's like a cure all. Right. Like it, like right. flushes everything out. But then, like it, hours later, sometimes it'll come back. Sure. Um, yeah. And actually, I had something in my sinuses. It's I, d- I don't even know if I'm explaining it right. I just had a surgery on it. <laughs> probably three years ago where there's this like almost like a valve up in your sinuses. And, um, the way I was born, I like this, the valve was like, just, it, it grew on the wrong side. And so water and stuff would get stuck up there and it wouldn't like release out very well. Uh, anyway, so they like popped this cell and it, it essentially made it so that it just always drains. drains but, so, um, so were you testing cool. that, that cell thing when you were going over those 80 foot waterfalls? You're like, I'm going to see if this is really true or not. I'm going to try because most people aren't doing <laughs> was, that. But <laughs> Yeah, it was, it was mainly unknown until I went to like right. a, a sinus specialist and tried to figure out like, why do I always have these sinus infections? But it, it's gotten a lot better in the last couple of years since, since I got that fixed. Um, but there's something else that you guys talk about in your course that I thought was really intriguing. And that was, um, using mouth tape. And so, so my wife actually read a book, um, that she has recommended. I read as well. I think it's called breath. Have you guys read that yes, book? James Nestor. Yep. Anyway. Yeah. And they, they also talk about mouth tape a lot. And so she wears mouth tape, um, yeah. when, when we go to sleep and, and I always, I've always thought it was somewhat funny. She's uh, luckily she doesn't listen to my podcast very much. So, (laughs) um, but, um, where I'm like, why don't you just keep your mouth shut and just breathe through your nose at night? Um, but I guess, I guess the idea is that we, when we're asleep, sometimes we just innately or subconsciously breathe through our mouths either way or breathe both through the nose and the mouth. And so the mouth tape cuts that off where we only breathe through the nose. Do I have that right there? Yeah. Or fill me in on why we, why you guys are recommending mouth tape and, and the advantages of it. Well, it, it goes hand in hand with the, with your daytime breathing. So think about it. if you can get eight hours more of nose breathing at night with mouth tape, um, you're getting the benefits of nitric oxide, a higher carbon dioxide, carb CO2 in the system, which is going to be better for your oxygen transfer. But I'll tell you one thing that happened to me, uh, that was blew me away because I've been mouth taping for the last year. And, and this was the side effect of everything is putting the mouth tape on. I hadn't had a dream that I could recall in probably 20 years. I just thought, I thought I stopped dreaming. I think they say you'd ever really stop, but I don't remember them when I started mouth taping. So nitric oxide, all this, all this extra oxygen is going to the brain while you're sleeping. So my dreams became so vivid in the first like six months, I fell out of the bed twice. <laughs> so crazy. But, but you imagine that, you, that your brain chemistry and uh, could change so much that just putting na- mouth tape on could knock you out of your bed, but it also cured my snoring. I probably only snore 
10% of the time of compared to 90% of the time before the mouth tape. So it's known to help cure snoring or, or minimize it a lot. Now, if you're obese or you, or your diet's really bad, that'll contribute. It, it, it won't be as easy, but, uh, if you're reasonably healthy and you snore and you have mouth is open, i I still mouth tape, but you could, your system and Corey knows this, it will adapt. If at some point she won't have to wear a mouth tape and, yeah, it's similar to what we talked about on our podcast, yeah. Nick, when we were on the the, the subconscious conscious. Like it, the more you can, you know, train the system to to maintain nasal breathing, even in sleep, um, it becomes habitual, and, and it never mm-hmm. like now. If I default to mouth breathing, it doesn't matter what I'm doing, whether I'm sleeping or I'm just in daily activity or in exercise. It like I have this immediate stress response. I'll wake up out of a sleep, my mouth's mm-hmm. dry. I'm like, what the heck happened? Exactly. Um, and I also yeah, want to, yeah. And, and I want to um, back up a little bit because it, it's really easy. You know, we can talk about nasal breathing and Mike and I have been doing, uh, uh, we've had a breathwork practice for 10 years and I can share my personal experience um, was not mouth taping. Mine was, I, I had trained with Mark it's with seal fit experience then I discovered Wim Hof on the Joe Rogan podcast, who happened to yep. be coming in and doing a workshop at, at my my coach's gym back in, I don't know, it was like 2012. Um, and that's where Brian McKenzie and a lot of the early breathwork practitioners started, you know, saying, okay, there's something to this. Now, Wim Hof, he, he was the one that sort of started bringing attention to CO2 tolerance. Um, we didn't know that's what he was doing at the time, but science later, you know, after people started getting really interested in his work, that was like what he was achieving, this really high level of mm. CO2 tolerance with this intermittent hypoxic breath work. Now, going back to like maintaining nasal breathing, I'm starting to like, I'm doing Wim Hof, which is is very much mouth. It's like hyperventilating basically through the mouth. And my, my intuitive sense at that point was like, I don't know, something doesn't feel optimal. Like I shouldn't get done with three rounds of 30 and feel like I need to drink a gallon of water. Um, that's probably (laughs) causing some inflammation, bronchial inflammation. It's probably causing, I know it's causing dehydration, probably a higher stress response. Um, and we know that now there's, there's actually some stuff coming out, not related to Wim Hof. I'm not throwing Wim under the bus, but we know now if you do, uh, a lot of sympathetic um, breath work, like hyperventilating breath holds, um, it can possibly cause uh, tinnitus, like ringing in the ears. So um, mm. I sort of intuitively started picking up on like, maybe this is an optimal way of doing it. And that's right when I switched to nasal breathing. So I basically was doing a, a Wim Hof style uh, training, but rather than just doing mouth, I went to nose. Now with that said, I was also trying to incorporate or being mindful of respiration in my cross training, um, in, in, in conditioning in particular. And one thing I noticed, I can remember the first time I got on the rower because a lot of my coach and a lot of other people in my space, um, that, you know, the ones that are always on the, the cutting edge looking for the next greatest thing. Um, yeah. We were all starting to apply like performance breath work or breath work to our, our CrossFit workout, to our cross training. And I, like I said, I can remember the first time I got on the rower and I tried to just maintain nasal breathing. It was so anxiety provoking. Mm. Like it was literally <laughs> right. like, 
I would take like 10 pulls, like 10 strokes and immediately like, oh my God, oh my God, I don't know if I could do this. So, and now we know that's CO2 tolerance and you can take a simple CO2 tolerance test in our course, but essentially when we, when we're in an, um, in an aerobic state, especially like, you know, zone two, three, four, um, our CO2 tolerance, or I'm sorry, our CO2 is going up our exchange. So we're bringing oxygen in the byproduct of oxygen is CO2 that starts to rise in the system. Um, and if you're not used to nasal breathing, like you don't have good airflow, you haven't developed that, those airways yet, like proper breathing mechanics. And most importantly, like the strength, like the, the, the breathing muscles from the scalings, the intercostals, the abdominals, the diaphragm, like all of these muscles can be strengthened just like any other muscle in the body. Um, and mm. that was a big, uh, sort of, um, realization for me, especially yeah. when Mike came out to the recovery <laughs> den here in, in Helena, Montana, when we were like, okay, we got to get cracking. We got to start putting this course together. And we quickly realized, okay, we need to develop a methodology first. Um, and as we develop the methodology, like we're sharing these different experiences, you know, Mike just shared his, his um, mouth taping experience with snoring and sleep. And here I'm like applying mouth taping to my zone training, like um, actually building aerobic capacity while maintaining nasal breathing. And that seems to be the most advantageous for fully, ado uh, fully adopting the closed balance system and being able to maintain nasal breathing at all times. Because if you can maintain nasal breathing in an anaerobic state, um, essentially that the breath becomes a very, very powerful tool. And it's like a, basically your RPM gauge. You can, you can throw away that heart rate meter because you just get so in tune with your breath and, and where that relates to your heart rate. So, um, I just had to, there's, it's so easy to go, Oh, just start nasal breathing and people get intimidated. No, yeah, by that. Corey's right. There's a definite uh, transition period that a lot of people give up on. That's why I was saying that that group of mouth breathers that yep. say, I tried nasal breathing. I tried running and it just about killed me. Well, that was my experience. I was a mouth breather for 50 years of my life. And so when I first heard that they were doing it at a gym from Corey, I, I was like, okay, there's something to this. So I immediately started breathing through my nose and I wanted to pass out on the trail. So there's a definite transition of, uh, and that's what that's why you put together a course because we didn't have that. We just went right into it. But now there's techniques that you can do to get more oxygen into your nose and know when to do it and when not to do it. You know, there's there's <laughs> there's a there's a way to yeah. do it. <laughs> Nasal breathing increases oxygen up to twenty percent, lowers heart rate by twenty beats per minute, and in, and decreases respiration rate by. Thir up to 30 breaths per minute with a with more exchange of air so like wow. just those three things if you think about that like it doesn't matter if you're if you have asthma or if you're you know climbing mount everest like it, it, nasal breathing is advantageous like oh mike why don't you go ahead and share i, I think this is a pretty compelling um um piece of evidence uh sonia uh sonia ross um the gold medal 400 no oh, the uh, olympian winner the olympian yeah what part Mike, you want to share that just just the, just the that what she's showing as far paint as the like image. um paint the image yeah, yeah. The, it, so I'll, I'll set it up so basically mike you, you can describe the the image so we have uh sonia richard ross who was the gold medal gold medal 400 uh winner i believe in the last olympics but 
the 400 meter, especially the 400 meter hurdles is, is kind of known as probably the toughest anaerobics, like VO2, like just all out max effort. Um, some of the best mm-hmm. athletes in the world and as far as fast twitch goes, um, and in our space in in the, in the breathwork space, um, and people that are, are, are training the respiratory system, there's sort of this thought and, and it's changing very quick. I think Mike and I, I know we're, we're on the forefront, um, looking at the research as, as it relates to nasal breathing, but there's this thought of like, when you're in, when you're working in that max threshold, like VO2 max, like it's okay to default to mouth breathing because we know that in those zones, like we can only maintain that output for say 400 meters. So it's okay to mm-hmm. just default to mouth breathing, but it's interesting because, well, or it can't be done. That was like one of the things too, that it was, and we, we've proved that, I mean, many, not just mountain wellness in our testing, but Sonia, the, the gold winner, gold medal winner proves that she has this, there's this image that Mike can describe, but she's out in front, uh, with her mouth closed leading and every mm. athlete around her, it has their mouth dropped open and completely gassed. And yeah, you can, uh, we can see get the hyperventilation that, and yeah. you can see her, how relaxed her facial expression is. You can probably find it if you Google uh, Sonia Richard Ross uh, Olympic, but there's a couple shots. Of right. Her so that's like totally full max effort. And if we know that nasal breathing increases oxygen utilization by 20%, um, it you know decreases respiration rate, it lowers heart rate. So if we think that uh, if someone that's pushing it at that level, like think of how they're actually optimizing all their systems and their ability to recover. Like I suspect I I would guess that she could probably run another 400 um, and not, you know, not maintain obviously the numbers that she did, but Mm -hmm. it comes back to an even exchange. And we talk about that with our close, yeah, our close balance system. So force rate, force rate, the biomarker we talk about it, it, it's very important to develop force rate. So basically you, you need to be able to, uh, have a very quick exchange of air from your, your intake to your exhaust, your inhale to your exhale. But as we exceed in our aerobic zones and we get into those max efforts, we have to have the ability to blow off more exhaust than, than intake, the, than oxygen or air that we're bringing in. And that goes back to what I said earlier, where you have to start doing cross training to um, like circuit style training um, to develop capacity and to actually strengthen the breathing muscles to maintain that sort of output in exchange at that level. Because if not, guess what happens? Mouth drops open, jaw drops, <laughs> and you default to mouth breathing uh, because yeah. the system can't get basically can't get enough CO two out, and that's why people yeah. mouth breathe. They they have to you know that- they blow they have to blow that CO two off. It makes perfect sense to me, and and it's funny. Because I was about to ask, uh, when you when you were asking what I was about to say earlier, it was essentially the question that you just, you answered the question before I asked it. Because like what we say where I essentially, without even knowing it, have trained uh, nasal breathing through kayaking because I'm trying to yep. keep the water out of my Absolutely. mouth. But, I, but I've trained that at like a certain capacity, right? And so when I go run with uh, a friend of mine who's actually, he trains for running and we'll, we'll go, you know, jogging, running, whatever at what I would consider like a conversation pace, meaning that I can talk yeah. mm-hmm. while we're running at that pace because I'm comfortable breathing through my nose and, and whatever and, and the oxygen intake that I'm getting. 
yep. where he was having a, a harder time um, having a conversation at that pace, even though he trains for running because just the way where he's like, I'm not used to, you know, using my mouth, breathe, like talking to breathe and way. talk at the same time. Yep. Right. Exactly. Right. And, um, and, and it, it got me thinking about how like at that pace, I was totally fine breathing through my nose or whatever. And same with running, like when I go jogging, like at a certain pace, I have no problem breathing only through my nose. That's really good. But then when I really try mm-hmm. to sprint, then I, yeah. I have to go to to my mouth because I just like I I can't do it. I can't or or I I won't be able to go for a, like a much long of a distance. Do you know what I mean? And actually, before uh, the show started. Um, we were talking about how I, I did a triathlon, I guess, like a couple of days ago. And in the swim, one, I'm not a great swimmer. My swim needs a lot of uh, technical work. <laughs> but but beyond that, the within the first, I don't know, a couple hundred yards, um, I told my wife to just like go on without me that I would catch her on the bike because I had to slow down because I couldn't. I was starting to have like... Um, like almost like an anxiety attack mm-hmm. because I couldn't get my breathing un- under control with the with the way whatever cycle that I was doing breathing with my swimming yeah. it was not what I was used to and so I couldn't get my breath work under control and it would like almost like put me straight into this like anxiety attack like I could feel my heart racing even though I know I'm not you know stressed like in the sense right. that I you know a life or death situation but I just I couldn't get my breathing in my heart under control. So I just had to like slow down. I had to breathe probably, I don't know. I was breathing through my nose. Um, but, but I, I, anyway, whatever it was, I had to slow down my swim and I, I was able to catch back up in the, the bike and run and stuff. But, but it was like, it wasn't helpful in my time for, for sure. And well, it, that's it got interesting. Me thinking, because you have the well, developed capacity with kayaking and, and, and you can maintain a certain, you know, output and nasal breathing. But when you, change the exchange like you're changing your, yeah. your cadence because you're swimming now and, and swimming is probably one of the only uh sports where you're you're still gonna maintain or use mouth breathing um and it yeah. and it's you know because you're and everybody's got a different stroke like i think it's I, i'm not a swimmer but i i've I, brian mckenzie's group does a they work with santa barbara i think santa barbara state or santa cruz one of the swim teams up there and uh brian mckenzie's done some great work um uh, shift adapt it's, if you guys want to check them out but um do you do any yeah breath they talk holding? about that like nick do you ever do breath well, hold it's, training? it's interesting I, I well one just just with your course actually no i i had, I had done some with i did uh a wim wim sure. hof course as well with some breath holding sure. um i'm doing it with your course doing some breath holding and, and i want to get into the hypoxic training that you guys do as yeah. well but it's interesting something that you just said Corey, that i hadn't thought about was that swimming is one of the few sports that that maintains mouth breathing and it got yeah. me thinking well well no i was nasal breathing and i was doing <laughs> I know, so I heard you say that and, and i was doing so because i was doing like the breaststroke and keeping my head out of the water because yeah. like it was the only way that i was able to get back into like under like get my breathing back under control and so it, i hadn't thought about that and maybe it has to do with the fact that i'm so used to nasal breathing right. that that was just like my go-to to get back under control anyway interesting I'd have to, I'd have to like replicate this a couple more times to like pinpoint exactly, but that certainly may have been it. Uh, yeah. But even sprinting, like what, what I was talking about earlier, like doing a running sprint, I go to, to mouth breathing just for what I would think is the oxygen intake that I'm trying to max out. But I'm, I'm not even certain after being, I'm, I'm like halfway through your course now and how 
we're going to get into this hypoxic training and how carbon dioxide is actually extremely important in correct me yeah. if I'm right if, if I've got this right Mike but um or or Corey that the carbon dioxide helps with the transfer with the red blood cells like explain how that whole thing works cuz that blew my mind when I was listening to it and it's again like many things where either I'm a slow learner no. or sometimes I just have to like watch it a couple times to it. like fully <laughs> absorb Mike, it completely this would be a good one for you to take um and I think Mike, you should speak on the Bora effect because Mike does a, a outstanding demonstration in the course of the Bora effect doing an eight minute breath hold. So, I, I, Mike, if you could speak on that, that'd be great. Uh, sure. And it's interesting, Nick, because most people get this is what confuses 90% of the people when it comes to oxygen, trying to get more oxygen into the system. In fact, the more you try to get air in, the opposite effects, the less oxygen you will get to your muscles and your tissue. The harder you breathe, the less air you're going to get into your muscles and tissues. And most people go, that doesn't make any sense. But the problem is you're, in that situation, you're hyperventilating. You're breathing hard mm. and you're blowing off tons of carbon dioxide. And when you're blowing off all of that CO2, carbon dioxide literally has to be present in the blood in enough volume for the oxygen from hemoglobin, from the oxygen to, de to actually detach and go into the system. So, so for all that oxygen to get to all your muscles, vital organs, and all your tissue, you've got to have a presence of CO2 in enough levels. And if you're hyperventilating, you think of a panic attack, right? Someone's like, <gasps> and they're hyperventilating. What are they blowing? They're blowing off all that CO2. They give you a paper bag. And that's why... Yeah, exactly. They give you a paper bag because you're rebreathing CO2. That's all you're actually doing is they're having you rebreathe your CO2. Mm. Um, so it's interesting. It's kind of that similar thing. So CO2 is actually a, a very important part of the process. And so think about it when you're running to the top of a mountain, let's say, and you're hyperventilating and you're fully gassed. If you, I put an SpO2 meter on your finger right now, you'd have probably 95, 97, 98% oxygen saturation. So you got plenty of oxygen, but you've blown off all your CO2. And that's why you think you can't get enough air in, but you're out of balance. And that's the second half of our closed balance system is the balance part is trying to keep a balanced system through these gnarly uh, experiences, endurance things that you're going through. Corey, you wanted to follow up, but that's kind of a... Yeah, it's it's very important. Sense. Like the body always fights to have homeostasis and everything. And one of those is the an even exchange or the the right amount of oxygen in the system and the right amount of CO2. And as Mike said, there has to be a certain amount of CO2 present at the cell in order for oxygen to offload off of hemoglobin. Yeah. So Mike does a demonstration of the Bora effect and the Bora effect is well known um in the free diving community. And it's basically like the body's last ditch effort to, to provide oxygen to the cell. And what's interesting is, is uh, we hook Mike up to a pulse ox meter so we can see oxygen saturation in real time. Um, oh, yeah, he does somewhere, somewhere around an eight minute breath hold, which blew my mind because here I, I was really focusing on capacity um, and a lot of the mechanical aspects of our, our breathing system. And Mike comes along and he's like, Oh yeah, I got an eight minute breath hold. And I'm like, well, you what? <laughs> like where, where did you, it, and it's a testament because Mike did not have an eight minute breath hold, you know, a couple of years ago, this yeah. was something that through our practice and through our research we've learned is possible. So we have him hooked up to a pulse ox meter. He starts his, you know, his, uh, his breath hold, um, and it's interesting because O2 just plummets, you know, it's just, 
mm-hmm. as soon as he as he starts, it's going down, down, down. And Mike, where did it? I, right around seventy percent. Is that no, where it, it landed in the, no. in the course? It 50 yeah, or in the course right? because I did it at night. I don't usually do breath work at night. I was just doing it for the sake of video, and I was like, oh boy, this is going to be a wild ride. And my oxygen saturation drops to fifty five percent or something. Fifty five. And yeah. if you know, and if you know. Uh, uh, at sea level, if your oxygen level drops to 88%, you're on the way to the emergency room. The paramedics are going to take you in. So, you know, you're, you're down to 55. And so that's like a little bit of a roller coaster, but I'm still fine. Uh, but but hmm. go ahead, Corey, and explain what, what happens after that, about the first three or four minutes. Yeah. So about three, four minutes in, what was interesting is the his O2 saturation levels off um, and stops dropping. And then, interestingly enough, it starts to rise. So at 55, 56, 58, 60, 65, 70, and now we're five minutes in. And I haven't taken hold. a breath. Hasn't taken a breath. So this is showing, we're, we're showing in real time the Bora effect, which is a clinical, um, <clears throat> uh, basically a, um, a clinical term that's used uh, for a ph- you know, physiology or a function in the body. And it's basically like that, Oh, those oxygen molecules that we're talking about that are circulated on hemoglobin. If oxygen is not like coming into the system, there is that last ditch effort where it'll offload those off that hemoglobin and, and the cells will take it up. And so there's so, that and there's, and there's the spleen and the uh, kidneys are all dumping oxygen rich red blood cells. And so you kind of see yeah, real time, right. the, the body's fully adapting to, we have to survive. There's no oxygen dump everything you've got. And that, that training is then what leads to, Corey, like it, it, right, like, and and it's interesting because they, you know, as I mentioned in the free diving community, intermittent hypoxic breath work is very, you know, that's that's how we they start building their breath holds, um, and but we also found some literature on angiogenesis. So when you start, you know, oh, yeah. practicing intermittent hypoxic work and and really doing it at the extreme level, it 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 looks like it's it's possible that you can actually have some angiogenesis angiogenesis and and grow some. Um, you know, uh, basically increase your circulatory system. It's building, um, so, it's actually building blood cells, new blood vessels. Yeah, building more blood cells. So you have a better oxygen utilization, better oxygen delivery. So, and I would suspect and hypothesize that that's probably what's going on with, um, in the Himalayas with, you know, um, Sherpas and people that are living in that type of environment, I, I would imagine yeah. they probably have like the gnarliest circulatory systems yeah, through angiogenesis, nitric oxide, all that stuff. Yep. Yeah, I thought I thought it was quite intriguing. Uh, so I I got to that segment in the in the course where where Mike does the eight minute breath hold or, or seven fifty five <laughs> or whatever, and yeah. as he's going through it and talking about it. Um, cause he's, he's doing audio overlay of, of like the actual, oh, that's right. yep. uh, demonstration. And, uh, and I thought as he was getting like into the three minutes into the four minutes, I thought that was already crazy. Cause I remember like as a kid, for whatever reason, you know, like, I don't know if it was just the lifeguard at the local pool or, or where I got this idea, but I had been told as a child that, you know, that you start getting brain damage if you hold your breath for four yeah. minutes, like for whatever reason that like piece of data clicked with me as a, as a child. Um, and, and clearly Mike demonstrates going all the way to eight minutes. And after watching that, I was so blown away. I started like Googling, <laughs> like what's the longest, like what's the breath hold world record and stuff like that. And, and it looks like there's like, oh, yeah. I don't know if it was the monks or, or who 
like I think the world record underwater is 24 minutes. That and sounds I was like, about what right. What the heck? Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. That's insane. Um, well, our so species I guess- has evolved. Our species is actually capable of doing this. I mean, we all free divers have been fishing underwater for for everybody has the capability of about a five minute breath hold. We don't talk about it. Nobody trains it. We don't, you know, we go to the grocery store. There's no searching for food. It's just, we don't dive underwater for food. So we have the capability. We just, it's something that we don't train, but the benefits are absolutely enormous. And, and, yeah, I, and that, I guess your point there, Mike, is is that it's something that we don't train. And to, just yeah. to clarify for the listeners out there, I wouldn't recommend like going in uh, some you know box underwater and holding your breath for five no, minutes because you water. might drown. Yeah, no, nowhere near but, water. <laughs> but but if you trained yourself, you know, then maybe you could get this and get up to you know the five minute mark or or above or whatever. But like what Mike says, it's something that with training that you're capable. And and it reminds me of something, again, that we talked about on your podcast, but just that, you know, with through training, I feel like the human body is capable of so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and almost like, like there is no limit to, to the human body. Like, I mean, back to, um, even, uh, Roger Bannister, the guy who broke the four, first guy to break the four minute mile, they told him that the human body wasn't capable of running a four-minute oh. mile and that your heart would physically explode if you did so. Right. And then he did it, and, and like literally, uh, he thought he died after breaking the four-minute mile, and he, the first thing he said was, am I in heaven? Um, or at least that's what the <laughs> right. papers say, because it was a long time ago. But <laughs> but the, the point being that, uh, that the human experience were continually improving Always. And so, like what you say with training, I feel like, um, I don't know, I I kind of believe that we can do anything. So, through training, I'm going to work my way up to the five-minute breath hold. I'll I'll get there, Mike. I'm not there yet, though. I don't know. It's 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 interesting for sure. It's all of it. As Mike and I were developing the system, like, we realized... Okay, in health and human performance, we, we do things to strengthen the musculature system. You know, we have strength training. We do things to to strengthen the the skeletal system um, for better bone health. We do things to optimize our immune system to strengthen our immune system, so we're healthier and more robust and resilient to viruses and bacteria. We do things to uh, train the nervous system. We do things to train the cardiovascular system. But yet, there's no talk of training the respiratory system or at least applying it to sport performance. Um, There's not a lot out there. And And, and, it's interesting because if you duct tape your mouth shut, none of the other systems work. That's like what we hmm. realized. Um, Because in my journey, you know, I got, and as I mentioned, I got into strength conditioning, got really into CrossFit. That was the beginning of, of, you know, the, the, my personal growth journey. Then I got really into nutrition, started with diets then I realized it's not about diets. Like I got to understand like it down to the cellular level, like nutritional biochemistry. Then I got interested in the brain. Um, and what it's interesting because I always thought it was, it was working out. I thought it was strength conditioning. And then I thought it was food. And now I, with, with, without a doubt, it's, it's breath. Like that's the foundation. Mm, you have to start with breathing. It's king. Yeah. Because if you get you, if you learn how to breathe right, then it, it, it really helps to optimize all the other systems. Because as I mentioned, you know, for example, cardiovascular system, when you learn how to use your nose as an RPM gauge, you know where you are in with your heart rate. That's very beneficial when you're out on the trail. And when we're talking about 
mountain pursuits. Um, let's face it. Most mountain pursuits are endurance based because of the harsh environment. We're in a hypoxic environment when you're 7,000 feet or above. Um, it's putting a lot of stress on the system. Um, so if we can train the respiratory system, if we can improve these biomarkers like forest raid and CO2 tolerance in particular, CO2, CO2 tolerance is the most important because it's a hypoxic environment, low oxygen. So if you can go up and, and be comfortable at, you know, 85% saturation on the first day at eight, nine, 10,000 feet and not feel any symptomology because you have really good CO2 tolerance. That's a big difference with no training going up. And, and we just learned this. We sent another team up Mount Whitney. Mike took some really interesting data at the top with athletes that don't have any uh, experience in respiratory training. And they were hovering around what, Mike, 70% saturation oh yeah saturation? I mean, we were at, we were at 13,500 feet we were at like i've taken me measurements at like 75 percent oxygen saturation so if you can imagine you, you at that point you're losing fine anybody's motor gonna skills. feel like crap yeah you're, you're losing fine motor skills you're 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 really struggling that's why people get altitude sickness you know and you don't want to have altitude sickness when you're on a cliff edges and hopping around on rocks i mean that's <laughs> that's something you don't want to have so we you know we were able to raise those saturation levels in real time while we were up there doing some of our breath work but the point is that people don't realize like especially on mount whitney we were that's where we're doing a lot of the testing they don't realize what's happening to their system to the respiratory system when they're going to those elevations and so that's why we tested it there because if we can function and and evaluate things there then when you're at seven eight nine thousand feet elevation doing your runs or your your training you know you've got this monster respiratory system that's used to dealing with these kind of things and it adapts yeah. like you were saying earlier the body has this amazing yeah. ability to immediately adapt to what it's been trained yep. to do it's the same so, thing going so, into cold showers. You get used to it three, you know, when you do it more often, it, it, you don't have the yeah. same reaction, right? You, that vagal tone increases. And um, so same thing, you build up CO2 tolerance, you put yourself in a hypoxic environment and suddenly you might be hovering around the same O2 saturation as your friends, but because you have that tolerance, now you're not exhibiting the symptomology. Right. Um, I also imagine that the, the mental strength kind of kicks in there too. Earlier on, Corey, when you were talking about doing ice baths, how you, you were saying that if you think about that, it's cold instantly, you're like going to like, um, um, just breathing out, out of control or, or anxiety yep. attack or, or whatever. Um, and, and I, I totally can relate because even when I'm doing like cold showers or something, the first thing I think of in, in when I'm doing a cold shower is like, oh, wow, this shower is so warm. This is such a pleasant, warm shower. And it, like, it, it gets me through it for whatever oh, reason. Wow. Yeah. Um, Psychology, yeah. It's, it's this weird like psychological Mindset. trick that I do in myself. But, but I imagine it's the same with the breath work that when you're forced into conditions where you're only like, if you put duct tape, I'm actually going to go right after this podcast and, and go for a run and put some duct tape over my mouth. No, and I'm going to see if, if, if I can, if I can, uh, if I can make it through it and, and push through that. If not, I'll, I'll, I'm not going to pass that on the road. I promise you guys. But one other thing that I, I was curious about when I was doing the, the course, so you guys do a lot of um, hypoxic training, and which is like breath holding. Have you guys heard of the, um, I think they're like hypoxia masks or something like that. These masks that were super in in style. I don't know if they're yeah, in they, style they, anymore. Like, but like a couple masks. years ago. That's really funny. You yeah, the high, yeah. 
But and and so I almost bought one a couple of years back, and then when I was researching it, somebody said that they're not actually that great. It just makes it harder to breathe; that it doesn't actually um, train you for elevation or something like that. So, is that a tool that you could use for that, or is that something totally different? And it, and it's you would advise it and instead use the breath holding technique. No, it's a tool, but it's not gonna de- it's not gonna help you develop CO two tolerance. Um, it, it's more gotcha. It's gonna it's gonna develop force rate. So it, basically, it it, yeah. it kind of restricts or or cuts down. It's a little bit harder to to intake. Um, so with that, you're gonna have to use your muscles a little bit. You know, it, it's basically a way to strengthen your breathing muscles and develop right. force. That's rate. That's all it really it. really does. But here's yep. the funny thing: I was just testing one a week ago. It's funny you mentioned this. So I'm looking at the mask, and it's got this little restrictive hole. It's about three quarters of an inch long, maybe. And you can set the different levels for how, how much air you want restriction. And I'm thinking if you're a mouth breather, cause I was like, I would never use this mask breathing through my mouth, but I'm sure a lot of people do. They're like, Oh, I'm going to breathe through my mouth, but I'm going to restrict my air to build my respiratory system. Like, Look at the opening. If you look at your nostrils, it's your nostrils are the same thing. So you don't need the mask. And plus, if you just breathe through your nose, you're going to get the restriction. But restriction is really important. People don't understand. You're, it's something in engineering called laminar airflow. When the air is turbined through a small hole, it is way more efficient than it's just going through the mouth where in, the mouth is in a sense like a river. Water's going kind of everywhere. It's getting caught in corners. It's and it's and if you put a lot of water in that river, now it's going into the. Let's just an example. It's a mouth. It's going down the throat. It's it's drying everything out, and it's and the body's constricting itself to defend itself against this over breathing. So it's kind of hmm. incredible that if you can use the nose as a, it's just way more efficient, and that's that's kind of the, one of the big differences between nasal and mouth breathing. It's just nasal is just way more efficient. Yeah, and you're going to get, honestly, you're going to get so much more um, from the CO2 tolerance, developing like, you know, the hypoxic work, developing capacity um, by with your just, nose. Yeah, with your, well, breathing through your nose, but doing that in your circuit training. So, like, for example, set up, uh, like you do a circuit with three stations, um, kettlebell swing, a box jump, and, and pull ups. So, Let's just let's just say for the sake of it to make it easy, reps king five, five, and five. So five kettlebell mm-hmm. swings, five box jumps, five pull-ups. Uh, main and you can mouth tape or just you know tell yourself I'm only gonna nasal like I'm only gonna do the the I'm only gonna nasal breathe if I can't maintain the movement, swing the kettlebell, jump on the box, or do a pull-up nasal breathing. Then I'm gonna stop. Let your heart rate come back down once you feel like you can move proceed forward. That that's when you go ahead and jump back up on the bar or go into the movement. But what that does over time is starts to develop that capacity because anybody yeah. that's just adopts the nasal breathing, like especially if they're a professional athlete like yourself, um, the, uh, unfortunately, you're not going to have the output and capacity that you have if you are, you know, say 50-50 mouth breather, um, nose breather. it's going to take some time to train it. However, as I mentioned in the beginning or throughout this, like if we know the research and literature shows us that breathing through your nose uh, causes a um, nitric oxide dump, which causes vasodilation, 20% oxygen, uh, better oxygen utilization. We got reduced heart rate. We have uh, reduced respiration rate. So all these are longevity biomarkers. And if we can train them and, and get that capacity um, up, it, it will it will get to the point where you can 
you know, hit the same numbers, but the way we see it is now you're going to have longevity, especially if you're talking mm. about ultra runners or, you know, people that are really pushing it. Um, and it, where you're pushing your body, like endurance events, endurance feats, that's not, that's not necessarily a longevity, uh, uh, something good for longevity, but if we do it right, or if we can optimize our system, the overall impact, like I, I give this as an, an example sometimes, like if we know on average that nasal breathing reduces heart rate by, you know, 20 beats per minute, we have some really cool data of our athletes with that. Um, think about how many times, how many less times your heart is beating on a hundred mile ultra, like, hmm. um, how many times, how many less times your, your rest, like your breathing. So, and that all comes down to energy. Like it takes energy for your heart to beat. It takes energy, um, to digest food. It takes energy to do everything in the body. So if we can optimize respiration to where the, you know, the body's not the respiration system is not working as hard, but it's still delivering the same, if not more oxygen. Uh, and it's more efficient. Well, guess what? We're going to have longer sustained endurance, um, uh, better output, uh, you know, optimizing our cardiovascular system, um, increased circulation. Like there's all these benefits. It's just, you know, as I mentioned, it takes training. You can't just like, all right, I'm going to become a nasal breather and, and hit the trail today. <laughs> you can't mount it, tape, <laughs> Nick, and run out there. Oh, I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to test the duct tape theory either way. I'm kind of like that. I'm going to jump right in and I'm going to try. It. I love it. But I, I, just but, start slowly. But at though, the same you know? point, right? Exactly. Yeah. It, that's the whole point. Yeah. Is that if I can't maintain it, then I'll just take my pace Back down off a little, little bit, bit and then it, it works that way. Cause that, we're in a culture, yeah, that's exactly we're in a culture that we have to go. Everything's all out. It's like CrossFit. Everything we do is like, <laughs> I got to be lying on the floor, rolling around in pain to know that I did what I was supposed to do. And what we're <laughs> uh, and, and looking at the research, funny. it's like, well, the research is saying a step below that is going to optimize your whole system, you know, yep. for longevity. Yep. That's all it's really, you know, we're trying to do. Here. I love that, man. I could talk with you guys <laughs> for hours. This is so intriguing. We did the same on your podcast. We talked yeah. for a long time just because I, I feel like we're, we're so like-minded and intrigued in the same subjects. This could just continue on forever. What I'll probably have to do is just have you guys back on the show and we'll, we'll, uh, maybe we'll do an update after I'm finished the course oh, and we'll see how my breath, my breath work uh, is going. Amazing. Um, I'm gonna. Well, we got. We got to have you back on our podcast to talk family because I. I mean, we got. Yeah. Just checking out some of your stuff, what you're doing with your kids on the road, and just living so awesome. that professional life as an athlete, but having that balance. So, uh, kudos to you on that. It's just, um, I love what you, what you and your wife are doing. Awesome. And she's a well, mouth well, taper you. of all things. I'm like so stoked <laughs> about that. I'm like she's right in there with us. <laughs> yeah, she's she's pretty badass. There's no denying that. Um. But I'm going to move us yeah. on to the next part of the show that I call the yep. fire round, and I'm going to fire a oh, couple man. quick questions off at you guys. Um, take take a deep breath through your nose, Corey. Um, uh, Mike and Corey, do you guys have a favorite quote or a current quote that you live by? Yes. And uh, I, don't, I don't know who wants to go first on it. Go for it, Corey. It sounds like you got one. Uh, change is inevitable. Growth is optional. Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. Uh, Do you have one? Mike? I would say, and I just heard this recently, and I and I just absolutely fell in love with it. Is leave things better than when you got there. If you can leave things better, if, improve the things yeah. when you you know once you leave. Yeah, I, I think that was like a, a Boy Scout uh, uh, methodology. I was a Boy Scout, like so that, that probably makes sense. <laughs> yeah, 
Uh, or maybe I'm just thinking, leave a campsite cleaner than you found yeah, it. That, that but, but the same idea right. translates to, to, to everything life, in life. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you guys have a favorite book or a current book that you might be reading? Uh, so on the personal growth side, power of the subconscious. And I would say um, my favorite adventure historical fiction would be the Emerald Mile. Oh, the Emerald Mile. Great book. I haven't read The Power of the Subconscious. I'm definitely going to have to check that out because it sounds right up my alley. Uh, there's a book that I just picked up. Uh, it's written by Buteco. The Buteco Method is a breathing method. And so they're basically have described and they're teaching the almost the, the cure of asthma hay fever and uh what's the third one essentially the allergies and it's incredible because you know asthma so many people deal with it and and he's basically teaching you how to reduce it and he's a he's a russian actually he's a russian doctor and famous what is it called one more time uh, it's, i want to say it's it's buteco uh constantine buteco if you look it up it's a book on i'd have to run and grab it but that's his, that's the name of the author it's it's I'll, I'll check it out for sure. I'll put links in the show notes for sure. Um, if you guys could give one piece of advice to a younger version of yourself, what might it be? <laughs> mm. Take that with Corey first. Uh, I'll answer it through the, the sort of health and performance lens. Um, understanding the balance of the nervous system. So hmm. uh, I'm very type A. <laughs> And I, that's why I always gravitated towards action sports and adventure sports. But um, from a, a health and longevity standpoint, being in a, um, a sympathetic driven state all the time is not healthy. Uh, and that's why mm. I've come to appreciate things like breath work and yoga and sort of these things that uh, modulate the, the nervous system and downregulate it. So uh yeah, bring in a little bit of balance. It's okay to, to slow down a little bit. I like that. I'm actually reading a book right now. I think it's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And, and uh, it's, Ooh, it's definitely got a religious a religious concept to it as well. But it, it really is a lot about just trying to slow down, which yeah. um, is something that I need to be reading right now. So it, I, I totally understand balance, that, Corey. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think in my case, it would be don't listen to the stories you tell yourself. So like we've talked about on our podcast, the subconscious and the conscious mind. And I think the conscious mind so often holds us back because we keep telling ourselves the same story for why we can't do something, whether it's true or not, uh, is, is, and oftentimes it's not true. So I say flush those stories you're telling yourself and just go and do Love that. Guys, yeah. this has been amazing. One of my most favorite questions that I ask all the guests that I bring on the show is if today was your last day on earth and everything that you've done up to now, uh, so all of your adventures, uh, your podcast, your coaching, everything, all your videos, it was all to go away with you. And all that you were left with was a piece of paper and a pen, and you could write down three truths. This could be for your friends, for your family members, for future generations. What might your three truths be? Ooh. 
Uh, number one, God first. Uh, second, family. And three, service. <laughs> Love that. Wow. Yep, I, I would definitely be live with no regrets. Make sure you do everything you wanted you wanted to do while you were here. That my family was was number one. I mean, it was just it was it was the only reason I was here, probably. And and any life that I mm. any life that I impacted, hopefully it was a positive one. <laughs> so yeah. I, Guys, I, I absolutely love that. I have gained so much value from this conversation from both of you. Uh, and something that I try to do as much as I can is give back as much value because I just, I gained so much from you guys. So um, for both of you guys, is there something that um, you guys might be focusing on right now that I might be able to help you out with or possibly even my listeners? Mm. Wow. Mm. That's a good question. I would like to see Corey on a kayak with you out there paddling. <laughs> we can make that happen. We can we can definitely make that happen. It's yeah, it's interesting you say that, Mike, because I actually had that thought. Um, I was I was kind of playing our story over that we talked about on the Mountain Wellness Podcast with Nick, and uh, um, I realized how many times people have told me stories with that. It, that are in my sport and they told me something they did and I'm just shaking my head like, Oh my God, I can't believe you did that. <laughs> so I'd love to <laughs> redeem myself and get out, um, and, and experience the water, um, you know, with you, Nick, that'd be incredible to get out there with you. Well, let's, let's definitely make that happen. Whether it be, uh, before the next mountain games or next year in Vail, uh, Corey, we're definitely going to get you out on the water. For anybody out there that would love to follow along your journey to reach out to you guys or to take your breath course, uh, what might be the best way for people to connect with you and uh, check out your your breath work? Absolutely. Um, you can find uh, everything Mountain Wellness is up to on our website, mountainwellnesslife.com. Um, if you click on the, uh, the menu, there's a tab that has courses that'll take you to the respiratory training course. Um, and at checkout, if you go ahead and plug in awesome, all caps, that'll get you 20% off. Um, and then the pod, yeah, (laughs) yeah. Hook you guys up. So, and then as far as podcast goes, uh, we're available on all major platforms. There's also a link through, through the website. So love for you guys to join the tribe, stay connected with, um, all of our current, uh, events and, and stuff that we got going on. Well, that is awesome. I'm very excited to uh, to pass forward that discount to the course. Uh, definitely, I personally am loving the breathwork course and can't wait to take this into all of my different adventures and uh, and sports and stuff like that. So hopefully, I'm doing the world champion or world cup uh, later this fall. So hopefully, oh, I'll nice. have this yeah. whole breathwork stuff figured out before that. That'd be pretty cool. Um, and I will have links to uh, mountainwellnesslife.com and the podcast Mountain Wellness as well in the show notes. But definitely, if you guys are interested, please go check them out. Uh, an amazing podcast. I was on it uh, this past week and just absolutely love getting to hang out with you guys, getting to talk with you guys. My final question of the day for you both is, what is your definition of awesome? Ooh. Definition I- of awesome. Oh, first thing that comes to mind, um, just being in the outdoors with 
my friends, like people closest to me. Um, and even I'd throw, uh, my family in there too. Like my boys, that's, that's my awesome place. That is truly awesome. I can, I can very much relate with that, Corey, and, and I love that feeling. So I love that definition. What about you, Mike? I had to say cliche, but it is the same thing. I mean, I, I've spent a lot of time in the mountains this summer and those moments of peace where you can just, there's something about being connected to nature that I, I can't find any other way. And I think I, I cherish those moments um, so much. And, you know, same thing with my family. If I can share, share that with them, sometimes I get to do that too. And it's just... It's funny. We don't need very much. We have so many things and we live in an industrialized <laughs> lifestyle, but I, I don't need a whole lot to make me happy sometimes. Yeah. It's so true. So true. Uh, we're going to have to do another podcast, uh, whether it's on your show or on mine about family and, and the outdoors as well. Yeah. Um, Thank you guys so very much. I absolutely loved getting to talk with you guys. I've learned so much through this conversation, through your breathwork course. Um, again, very much highly recommend anybody that wants to improve their breathwork or just learn more about human performance and that peak performance, check out their breathwork at mountainwellnesslife.com. Very awesome so far. Uh, use that promo code AWESOME if you guys want that 20% discount. And uh, hopefully you guys listening have gained as much value as I have out of this conversation. If you did, please, if you guys could share this with one person that you think might needs to hear this uh, as we're building that collective and community as a whole. So thank you guys for sharing this. As always, I am Nick Troutman signing off. Thank you very much, Mike and Corey, for joining us. And for everybody out there, have a truly awesome day. Cheers. Yeah, thanks, Nick. Keep right. spreading that mountain stoke, everyone. Our pleasure, Nick. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.